Odds Breakers family, what's going on? Michael Fordham back with another edition of Deeper Dive with Michael Fordham. I come on every Sunday uh, and kind of recap what we saw uh, from that week's college football slate. Man, it was hard to narrow this down to eight topics because we saw a dandy of a Saturday in college football. I mean, we had Texas and Alabama. I was actually at that game uh, being a diehard Texas fan. I feel like I have a unique take to give you on that game. We saw three ranked teams who were all in that 17 to 20 point favorite range all lose outright at home. So all that to come, want to say, check us out at theoddsbreakers.com. The Oddsbreakers is your number one source for sharp sports betting information. Obviously, Kiev and Chris Farley doing a great job with the NFL here, starting up today, actually. Uh, me and Nick Hub, well, and Kiev as well, uh, doing college football. Uh, we got Patrick Gates uh, with, with hockey starting back up not too far uh, from now. And, and he's great in the PGA as well. We've got a great team of handicappers there over at theoddsbreakers.com. We've got premium packages. I focus on free picks. Uh, and, and we've got a tons of podcasts here on this Oddsbreakers podcast network. So check us out at theoddsbreakers.com. Without further ado, let's get right into this week two reaction episode. A quick betting recap from yesterday, uh, four and five. It was really an even day because one of those was a sprinkle on Georgia State money line. Um, and then we also cashed a multi-unit winner. Uh, on that BYU Baylor under, which uh, ran into the wee hours of the morning. We had to navigate double overtime. Um, you know, last year I came out of the gates really hot in college football. Uh, these lines have been really sharp. I mean, I had multiple games decided by half a point or a point yesterday. Um, so, you know, these lines are sharp. We haven't exactly come out of the gates hot this year. We're staying afloat. I feel great about where we're going into week three. Last year in college football, hit a 55% clip. Netted over 27 units. We're going to get there. It's a matter of time. And, and like I said, it hasn't been a bad start. Uh, it hasn't been the start we wanted, but uh, feel good about where we're at going into week three. I, I mentioned we're going to start with Alabama and Texas. Uh, my voice is a little bit hoarse. Uh, I, I was at the game. only missed three Texas home games in my entire life, so I, I would consider myself a diehard fan. Uh, full disclosure, if you don't want to hear my take on this game, if you hate Texas, I will leave uh, timestamps in the description below uh, so, so, so you can flip through my different takeaways. If you, But I am going to address this from a homer perspective somewhat. Uh, I'm, I'm going to address Alabama as well, but the reality of it is uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to talk about Texas a lot on this channel from a betting perspective because I'm incredibly biased. Uh, I'm willing to admit that, but uh, that was the game of the day yesterday. Um, just a great environment, first of all. I mean, the student section was packed two hours before kickoff. Record crowd, over 105,000 people there. Um, th that was an SEC-level environment. You know, my main takeaway from that game, uh, starting with Alabama, this is the most undisciplined team up to this point that Nick Saban has had. I mean, Alabama had 15 penalties yesterday. I mean, and some of their horses, like Will Anderson, just inexcusable personal foul after the play penalties, uh, lots of pass interferences, some which uh, weren't called. With a game like this, you never want to let the game be, be put in, in the ref's hands. Unfortunately, it's easy to look back and say it was. I'm typically not a guy that's going to, uh, you know, harp too much on that. I do think uh, the officiating had an impact on the game. But, you know, the, the reality of it is when Quinn Ewers went down, um, that, that really kind of, you know, negated a lot of what Steve Sarkeesian wanted to do offensively. You know, Steve Sarkeesian you know, talked about this week. This game plan for Alabama was done in May. I mean, he has been licking his chops uh, for this matchup. He had a great game plan with Quinn Ewers. Came out, drove the ball right away. Ewers hits that uh, deep shot to Xavier Worthy. And then I wouldn't necessarily call it a dirty play. Uh, that it, it was a clear roughing the passer on Dallas Turner. It wasn't because of, of a late hit or anything, but you can't pile drive the quarterback into the ground. 
That forces Ewers out of the game. I've been as big of a critic as Hudson Card as any. Uh, I've questioned his toughness. But the reality of it is you have to respect how he conducted himself, all things considered. You're playing the number one team in the country. Uh, you're coming cold off the bench. It was a well-publicized quarterback battle where virtually everybody was against you, and, and me included. I mean, if, if Hudson Card would have started over Quinn Ewers, there would have been a riot in Austin. So it's a tough situation to walk into. I, I thought he carried himself well. He actually made some plays with his feet, which was kind of an issue last year. Uh, I still think he's too gun-shy, too indecisive in the pocket. And the reality of it is when Quinn Ewers goes down, that, that just kind of negated a, a, a lot of what Sark wanted to do in the passing game. The, the one thing I'll give Bama credit about, I thought we'd be able to run the football a little bit better in this game. I mean, we, we have the best running back in the country. I mean, Bijan Robinson's expected to be the number one uh, running back off the board uh, in this upcoming draft. We all knew about Bama's pass rush. Um, and, 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 you know, that did come through a few times yesterday. The Alabama's linebackers definitely exceeded my expectations. They really bottled up our run game. And, and when Ewers and, and that threat of a real downfield passer uh, leaves, then I think Alabama was really able to just focus on stopping the run and forcing us in, into some obvious passing situations. By far, the biggest surprise of the day uh, was how our defense played. I mean, Alabama breaks off that one big run for an 80, 81 yard touchdown, I believe. Uh, you know, poor tackling at the second level, but we forced five straight three and outs against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. All the while young pieces they, they might have offensively. I mean, Alabama's got as, as much offensive talent as any other team in the country. For as much as our defense struggled last year, I mean, literally nobody gave us a shot in this game for basically that reason alone. And I get it. We, we were that bad defensively last year. We were that bad up front. Couldn't generate any pass rush last year. And so uh, nobody in, in the national media gave us a chance. P hell, people that cover the, the team. I mean, we, we had a guy who's supposed to be this well-respected figure uh, within the Texas football community. He predicted a 52-7 to win for Alabama, So, uh, which makes my blood boil. I don't even want to get started on that. Our defense really stepped up to the plate. We were able to get some pressure on Bryce Young. Uh, I, I think you know, some of that has to be credited to coverage because I do think uh, we had one sack on a third down. Uh, Ovia Gofu got home that um, was definitely more of a coverage sack, but it's a sack nonetheless. I know Alabama got the offense going in the fourth quarter, but you forced five straight three and outs against that offense, that quarterback, that coach, and you, you hold them to 20 as a whole. Got to feel pretty good about that performance. So it, it was. it's one of the more unique feelings I've had after a Texas loss because – Usually, and we, we've had a lot of a lot of them over the last 12 years or so, but I mean, especially losing at home, if we lose at home, people can't get out of there fast enough. Um, and w w where I sit, you know, lots of uh, lots of irate people, but it, it's one of those weird feelings because it, it's kind of twofold. Nobody wants to lose. Nobody was happy about uh, how that game ended yesterday. That can be true, and you can also be extremely encouraged uh, about where this team and where this program is heading. And, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. The reality of it is if, if you can play that team close with your, your starting quarterback going down as well as he played in the first quarter, then you can compete against anybody on the rest of our schedule. I mean, we, we got a tough game at home next week against UTSA, and then we get into conference play. Yesterday validates a, a lot of what we've heard throughout the offseason. It was great to see, great environment in DKR. Nobody likes that result, uh, but a, a lot of positive to take away. As far as Alabama, like I said, I, I, very undisciplined yesterday. Uh, I, I'd be very surprised if, if that's a theme that persists throughout the season. They're, they're way too well coached, uh, and Nick Saban is too much of a drill sergeant to, to really a, a allow that for too much longer. But listen, this Bama team is not immortal. If we learn one thing from yesterday, it's that I don't care who's playing quarterback. 
I don't care who's playing running back. I don't care who's playing wide receiver. If you have issues on your offensive line, you're going to have a tough time winning a football game. We saw it last year with Alabama. They, they were not as dominant as people think last year. Tennessee played them close through three quarters. LSU played them close. Florida played them close. They lost at AM. They should have lost at Auburn. This was not a dominant team last year. They were, they were a really good team. They made the national championship game, but this team has holes too. Uh, I think at wide receiver and corner, they're talented, but they're extremely young and, and they're just still trying to figure things out at both those positions. Main takeaway for Alabama, though, is they, they got to be better up front. And this is kind of a theme now where Alabama has struggled on the road the last two years. Obviously, they lost at AM last year. And then, you know, the Florida game, the Auburn game. And, and listen, it's hard to play on the road. It, it's not just a them thing. But this idea that Alabama is some immortal program with no flaws, it's just incorrect. They got two more road games this year that I've kind of circled. They play at Arkansas. They come home and play AM, and then they go to Tennessee. I mean, those two road games are going to be extremely tough with with both with how efficient both those offenses are. Tennessee's got a good pass rush. Uh, I think Arkansas is a little bit more shaky defensively, but still a really good system. Uh, they're, they're very injured in their secondary, but those are two very tough environments to play in. It's kind of becoming a theme that Alabama is kind of underperforming on the road. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets sorted out. Nevertheless, I, I was... I was encouraged by what I saw yesterday in DKR. Tough loss. Uh, I actually just got a note. Quinn Ewers is out four to six weeks. Um, I'm not even going to let myself uh, rant about, you know, our quarterback situation right now uh, because I don't think y'all want to hear that. But And like I said, I'm not going to talk about Texas a lot on this channel because this is a, this is a betting channel. Uh, and I, I don't bet Texas because I'm a diehard fan. But, I mean, it, it was the game of the day yesterday. and felt like it was worth talking about. All right, my second takeaway from week two – I mentioned this off the top. We saw three uh, top 20 and, and you know, just well thought of teams that were heavily favored at home. Notre Dame, Texas A&M and Wisconsin. They all lost outright yesterday. Uh, Going to start with Notre Dame. I, I actually didn't think that Notre Dame could stoop this low um, because I, I felt really good about their offensive line. I felt good about their defense, and uh, obviously defense wasn't the issue yesterday, but this team is just not very talented offensively. They're not good at running back, losing Kyron Williams off of last year's team, who, if we're being totally honest, wasn't a necessarily game-changing back. He, I mean, they could certainly use him on this team, but they got nothing special at the running back position. Uh, they, they had some injuries in fall camp from wide receiver spot, and they were just not very good there. I know they got Michael Mayer, who might be the best tight end in the country, but it's going to be hard to create explosive plays when, when you just don't have those Jimmys and Joes on the outside. Now, like I said, if you're playing Marshall, you, you would certainly expect to be able to do that. But, I mean, they, they just could not move the ball yesterday. Tyler Buckner just, just you know, didn't look the part. Uh, I, you know, coming into the year, I was kind of in wait-and-see mode. I, I'm not going to pretend to ever have a great feel on, on guys who we just don't have a great sample size on. I equate that more to just kind of his lack of talent on, on, on the outside and, and their inability to run the football. Um, I mean, they just totally melted down. Once Marshall... Uh, Took the lead in the fourth quarter. I uh, saw multiple interceptions and just uh, bad body language uh, from Marcus Freeman, Michael Mayer. I mean, guys were just in total disbelief. Um, you know, like I said, I, I didn't have high expectations for Notre Dame this year on a national level. Uh, and it, this makes their AP top five ranking preseason look like an utter joke because they're going to be unranked uh, here in, in the new SAP poll. But I, I didn't even think that, that they could stoop this low. They stooped this low. Uh, Marcus Freeman is now 0-3 as the head coach uh, overall and at Notre Dame. That's the first time that's ever happened at Notre Dame. Can't lose to Marshall at home at, at a place like Notre Dame. Can't happen. Um, Texas A&M. Listen, I hate Texas A&M. I, I hate people that go there. I hate their fans. I hate their 
their colors. I, I hate that that town. I hate everything about AM. I actually had high expectations for AM coming into the year uh, because the reality of it is they're so good uh, in their defensive front. They're so good in their secondary that that alone I felt like could have won them a lot of games and you know kept them in that eight nine win range. The reality of it is that their offense stinks. And it stunk last year. It wasn't particularly great under Kellen Mond. Uh, it was certainly better than we saw yesterday. But, you know, Haynes King was the wrong pick at quarterback. He was the wrong pick at quarterback. He didn't play well last week against Sam Houston State. He didn't play well yesterday. Um, it's not even about turnovers yesterday. But it's just about that offense just has no flow to it. I mean, they they only ran 38 plays yesterday, which is kind of a indictment in and of itself. I mean, they barely had the ball in App State territory, but Haynes King was the wrong pick. Max Johnson is a guy who's played a lot more football at LSU, and, and Max Johnson's not a world beater either, but Max Johnson's a better quarterback than Haynes King. That was the wrong pick out of fall camp. We've seen that through two weeks. Um, I, I said that preseason in my SEC quarterback tier ranking video, but even so, I mean, they, they really haven't been able to establish the ground game that, that I was expecting them to uh, through two weeks this year. I mean, uh, really didn't run the ball well last week against Sam Houston State. And and their offense just looked inept yesterday. I mean, that, that Appalachian State off, I mean, to, for, to have App State, and, and listen, I, I know that's a really good group of five program, but but you're the number six team in the country. You, you're supposed to have this top five uh, defense. And, and listen, I, I, bought, I bought into a lot of that. I'm not saying that, that, that that was why they lost yesterday, but they couldn't get off the field. You can't let App State come into your home and just totally control the game. And that's just kind of what we saw. You know, I, I've already seen this kind of boiling, but this is why you don't give $90 million guaranteed contracts to a guy that left his last program in Florida State in total shambles. I mean, it's taken Florida State, what, four or five years to kind of get back up on its feet. I mean, Jimbo Fisher left that program in a wreck. Jimbo Fisher needs to go hire a young, up-and-coming, innovative offensive coordinator because... This can't keep happening. With as much talent as they have defensively, what happened yesterday in College Station is a total joke. Um, finishing off with Wisconsin, yeah, they played a Power 5 opponent in Washington State. The reality of it is, though, a 17, 17 and a half point favorites, that game shouldn't have been close. Their offense didn't look inept necessarily. Uh, I mean, give Washington State a ton of credit. They actually bottled up uh, Wisconsin's run game pretty good. I mean, Braylon Allen, 21 carries for 98 yards. I mean, Braylon Allen was almost at seven yards a carry last year. So a big win for the Washington State uh, front seven. But, you know, I, I played Wisconsin uh, first half minus the nine and a half. To be quite frank, it's, it actually should have come through. They, they led by seven at halftime. And, and they, they I don't know if you want to say they missed a field goal. It was one of the worst field goal attempts I've ever seen. That actually had a chance of coming through. But, I mean, Wisconsin was, was the total wrong side. Uh, you know, Graham Mertz didn't play bad either. But, I mean... 58% completion, 7.3 yards per attempt. He is still not taking that next step yet. He, he wasn't as bad as last year. Graham Mertz didn't lose them that game yesterday. But, you know, teams like Wisconsin that, that just refuse to, to adapt offensively. I mean, it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, and I feel like that's going to be a theme throughout this video. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about Iowa in a second. That definitely applies to Iowa. But, you know, it, it's crazy to see three of these teams that all – in kind of their own separate way were, were thought of as either conference title contenders in the case of Notre Dame. I and mean, they were the AP top five team. Uh, Texas A&M was, was a sixth ranked team coming into yesterday. It's why these polls are just totally meaningless. Uh, I mean, it's all perception based. The, the, the people who make these polls, I mean, the AP poll is comprised of votes from people who uh, quite frankly, aren't that knowledgeable. So uh, I, I feel like yesterday kind of showed that. 
Uh, I mean, still, still nonetheless, I certainly didn't predict any of these three teams even come close to losing at home yesterday. So it just shows there's a lot of unpredictability in the sport. College football, man. Takeaway three uh, from this week two slate, uh, going over to Gainesville. Obviously, uh, they, they had a huge win at home against Utah last week to start the season. Um, if you watch kind of what I said after that game throughout the week, they should have lost that game. Utah turned the ball over twice in the red zone, uh, you know, left at least six points on the board, maybe 14 points, probably more like 10. But the reality of it is Florida should have lost last week. And, and what we saw in the betting markets in the in the AP poll for, for a team to go unranked to 12th based off the result of a game they should have lost was a joke. And, and this line uh, against Kentucky last night got all the way up to Florida minus six. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, it, it, it's kind of an indictment on me. I, I'm not really proud of the fact I, I should have absolutely been on Kentucky plus six. It was the total right side. Uh, I should have played against that premature perception of this Florida team. I mean, I feel dumb for not playing Kentucky plus six. I even talked about it in my preview video for this game that it was a bad market move towards Florida. Um, and I really had the handicap right, but the, the, the fact that I didn't fire on that play uh, is pretty dumb. So I actually did have a play on this game. Uh, the first half under uh, somehow, some way it didn't come through. I mean, this game was three to nothing after the first quarter. We saw two turnovers in the second quarter, which gave each offense a short field. We saw a, we saw a, a botched snap that, that, that resulted in a safety. And of course, what, what happened twice to me yesterday, I, I made a first half play. Uh, and if I would have just played the full game under, it, it would have come through pretty easily. So, uh, the, but I, I did still have a financial investment against Florida. I played them under the seven wins and, and kind of the way I viewed their schedule preseason. I thought they'd drop one of the two games at home to either Utah or Kentucky. We obviously saw that happen last night. There was a lot of hype around Anthony Richardson after that week one performance against Utah. He looked great with his legs uh, and he looked good enough as a passer. But but the one key aspect of this game, Kentucky totally took away his ability as a runner. I mean, six carries for four yards, and, and only one of those was a sack. So he, he really just was no threat in the run game as a passer. I mean, 14 to 35 for 143 and two and two interceptions, excuse me. I mean, that, that is horrible. When Anthony Richardson can use his legs, I mean, that, that's a true difference-making part of his game. But if he's forced into the pocket, and if he's forced to use his arm primarily, he's not that good. I said that coming into the year. I didn't necessarily say that, but I said, let's slow down this hype train around Anthony Richardson. We've got to see it over a consistent long period of time before we crown this guy the next camp. I mean, I heard them talking about the broadcast last night. Like, is he Cam Newton? Is he more of a Cam Newton or is he more of a Tim Tebow? Like, dude, he's 14 to 35 for two picks. I mean, that is ridiculous. So uh, this game goes to show you that uh, there are a ton of overreactions from week one. Uh, it, like I said, I called this, but I didn't even bet it. So it, it's kind of just like a, an indictment on me almost that I didn't even play this. Also, got to give credit to Kentucky. Uh, me and Kentucky fans have had an interesting relationship uh, over the last month and a half or so. I've talked down a little bit on Will Levis. But the, the one thing I've always said, this might be the most underrated program in college football. And Mark Stoops might be the most underrated coach in the country. They had a ton of – and the, the one reason I didn't play Kentucky uh, in this spot is I, I was concerned about their offensive line after seeing them give up four sacks in week one. They were without their running back uh, one and Chris Rodriguez Jr., big loss. I mean, they were really having a tinker around last night. I mean, they were having a wide receiver lineup, lineup at running back. I mean, they're, they're using a lot of two tight end sets. I mean, they, they were doing some creative things to, to kind of work around some of the issues they have, but they're a well-coached team, man. Give them a ton of credit. And Will Levis didn't play great. 
I still think he was criminally overrated coming into the year, but he made that one great throw on a deep ball. He's obviously got a strong arm. He still hasn't put it all together, in my opinion, but it's not about the talent. He played well enough for them to win that game, but that Kentucky linebacking core, taking Anthony Richardson out of the game uh, was huge. It was huge. He forced two picks. The, the, the Florida hype was unfounded. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond from this. Obviously, a brutal uh, start to the season playing Utah and Kentucky, two really tough matchups uh, for a first-year coaching staff. I, I still think this team goes 6-6. Six and six. We'll see uh, how that shakes out. Part of that, too, is I saw virtually no shot that, that they'd go into College Station and beat Texas A&M. I don't know about that after uh, after yesterday, but needless to say, uh, tons of overreactions for Florida after week one. I think we saw that play out yesterday. I want to make one more comment about Kentucky, too. It seems like they, they just can never enter a game at full strength. I mean, I remember a few years ago, they were having Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, who's a wide receiver. Uh, I mean, he, he was their primary quarterback, and they were basically running a wildcat offense the whole year. I mean, he, last night, they had all these guys out for suspension. I mean, talk about just Mark Stoops having to deal with the a tough hand dealt to him. It seems like every year this happens to him and they still find ways to overcome it. So great game in Gainesville last night and, and great win for this Kentucky program. I'm not saying Florida's dead, but they, they've got their holes too. And I think Anthony Richardson is a passer. So he's still got a long way to go. All right. Fourth takeaway uh, here from this week two slate, Tennessee, and, and probably maybe the uh, second or third best game of the day. They survive a tough road test at Pittsburgh. Uh, they survive an overtime. Played pretty sloppy in the second half, but I mean, we saw in that first half just what this offense can do. I sprinkled on on Hinden Hooker to win the Heisman, uh, and I'm, I'm obviously very high on him. Uh, They're able to run the ball very efficiently. We're able to connect on some deep shots. Brew McCoy got integrated. Uh, obviously, Cedric Tillman. But give credit to Pittsburgh, man. They came out swinging offensively. Keaton Slovis. Uh, I, I had my doubts about Keaton Slovis coming into the year. He's kind of uh, proved me wrong through these first two weeks. I mean, he was taking shots. The, the, the one thing that I, I felt Tennessee was going to be able to do in this game was get pressure on him, but he stood in the pocket and he took his blows, but man, he, he delivered uh, some really good strikes down the field. Unfortunately though, uh, just took one too many hits and had to leave that game at the end of the second quarter uh, from there. I mean, Pittsburgh's offense with Nick Patty, I think, I mean, the, the, their backup quarterbacks were horrible last year. Nick Patty is just not a good player. Uh, I, I know they broke off one big run, but I, I don't, don't think that's a very good run game. So once Slovis went out of the game, I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised Tennessee uh, didn't really pull away from that game in the second half. Uh, played pretty sloppy. They muffed a punt. Uh, they, I think they had one more turnover offensively. And, and listen, give credit to Pitt's defense as well. I mean, w- winning on the road is hard. This is going to be an interesting team to watch. I mean, you're, you're now 2-0. and You get vengeance on, on a game you lost from last year when Pitt came into Knoxville and won that game. This team is starting to click. I feel like with Josh Heupel at the helm, it's always going to click offensively. I mean, they're a very fast-paced team. They're very balanced as well, which I think a lot of people probably wouldn't guess. I mean, they, they can really run the football with small at running back. I do think this team has taken strides defensively, uh, still allow too many explosive plays. I mean, you can't allow that chunk run that they allowed early in that game and would like to see that secondary improve a little bit. But like I said, they were able to get some pressure on Keaton Slovis and actually knock him out of the game. I, I mentioned it earlier. I mean, playing a team like Alabama, who's liability is their offensive line. I mean, that's a game where, where Tennessee could make some noise. And it's just going to be an interesting team to watch throughout the year. Tennessee is one of those teams that's just going to be extremely high variance because they play these fast-paced games. Uh, they're going to play a lot of close, wild games this year. It's a very entertaining team to watch. I know they were six-and-a-half-point favorites, that, and they ended up covering, actually, in overtime, but uh, probably shouldn't have covered that game. Needless to say, that's one of those wins. A win is a win. 
nobody in Knoxville at this point with, with how and certainly a fan base I can relate to being a traditional power and kind of struggling over the last decade, uh, 15 years or so. I mean, that is absolutely a huge win for that that Tennessee program. Good on Tennessee for surviving a tough road test uh, in Pittsburgh. Takeaway number five, I, I don't even know where to start with this Iowa offense because they are they have an elite defense. They they force turnovers at an elite rate. Uh, they have elite special teams. We saw that yesterday. They blocked a, a, another punt, which is something that they've become notorious for You know, during the Kirk Ferentz era. I love that defense, but they're going to waste it once again because this offense is putrid. I mean, Spencer Patriots completing that game. Um, I mean, he threw for less than 100 yards on over 20 attempts. I mean, he, he missed so many open receivers. He's got no touch. No, I, I actually think their run game could be pretty good, but it's not going to be any good if you have no threat. Uh, it, not even the vertical passing game. And Spencer Patriots can't hit wide open receivers five, seven yards away. I mean, just an absolute joke. And, and I talked about it with Wisconsin. It seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. All these programs year in, year out talk about this is finally the year that you know things are going to click. But the reality of it is when, when coaches show their hand uh, over such a long period of time, you kind of are what you are. At full disclosure, I played Iowa minus the three and a half yesterday. Uh, they've dominated that series against Iowa State. Um, I also played the under, though. So while I did get the Iowa side of it wrong, that under was absolutely the right side. Should have been a two-unit best bet. I mean, game finishes 10-7. to 7. Uh, They couldn't have made that total low enough for me to be on that under. So that was a good call by me. Pat myself on the back. But, uh, I mean, and give credit to Iowa State. I mean, they the drive that won them the game was a 21-play, 12-and-a-half-minute drive. Just, uh, you know, Third down conversion after third down conversion. For, for such a young team, they showed a lot of composure in that spot. But the reality of it is, with how good Iowa is in their front, I mean, they're, they're great defensively at every level. Uh, but especially, I mean, the way they're able to stop the run, uh, I think they're able to create pressure on the quarterback. Uh, played great in their secondary yesterday, but that that, that offense is going to hold them back from being a 9-10 win team once again. I played them over the 7.5 wins, so hopefully that still comes through. Um, you know, don't have much confidence with with because this is the thing I acknowledge in in handicapping that game that this is not a good a good offense, but that doesn't even begin to describe how inept they were yesterday. I mean, it's one thing to to be not very good and you know not much of a threat in the passing game, but they were atrocious. I thought we were getting a very generous line at three and a half. That was a game I circled early in the season. Just all the inexperience on that Iowa State team. Thought that was a sharp look, uh, and I even thought that through through the third quarter, but. Iowa State, you know, 99-yard drive, tip your cap. But uh, this Iowa offense is a joke. All right, we got our first real look at the new look USC. Obviously, first-year coach Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, basically an offense that's made up almost all uh, of transfer portal guys. We saw them last night in primetime. Now, I know Stanford is, is definitely taking a step back as a program, but, you know, still nationally televised on ABC. So got a pretty good look at USC. You know, put up 35 points offensively in the first half. I mean, Caleb Williams looked great. Travis Dye looked great. Jordan Addison got integrated. Uh, I mean, 172 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Uh, sorry, I, I, you know, I can't memorize every number. But my read coming into this game was, I, you know, I, I felt like there was a path for Stanford to keep this game pretty close. And, and you know, they only lost by 13. Um, but I, I also kind of kind of envision that this might happen. I mean, Stanford is just not very good up front defensively uh, or offensively, really, for that matter. I mean, Tanner McKee got sacked five times last night. So this is actually a matchup that USC could win in the trenches, uh, which is all the talent they have with Williams, Die, 
Addison, Mario Williams. I mean, they, they just got so much talent that they, they can kind of outmatch a team like Stanford. With that being said, I still do have questions about USC after last night. I mean, still gave up 441 yards of offense. Really, Tanner McKee kind of played Stanford out of that game early. He had two early interceptions, and one of those uh, came on the goal line. So, you know, can't have that when you're stepping up in competition. But their offense did improve throughout the game. I mean, uh, and I get 14 of those points came in the fourth quarter. But still, I still do think offensively that they can be stopped against a really good front four. What gave Caleb Williams trouble last year at Oklahoma? It was against Iowa State. It was against Baylor. It was in those games where, you know, his O-line was kind of outmatched. And that's going to really be true for everybody. But it still was impressive in a matchup like this on the road. The one thing Stanford was able to do uh, that, that I, I didn't think they were going to be able to do at all uh, was run the football. Both of their backs were right around 4.6, 4.8 yards per carry. Uh, they weren't giving getting that level of production from that position last year. So that was somewhat of a pleasant surprise, like I said. Tanner McKee didn't play great, and, and those turnovers early in the game just, just kind of played Stanford out of this game. be interesting to see because USC comes back home next week to play Fresno State. I know Fresno State lost to Oregon State last night, uh, thank, thankfully for my uh, Oregon State over six-and-a-half wins ticket, but Fresno State is a team that is not going to be afraid to go into USC and make some noise. And then that next week, they go to Corvallis, Oregon. They play Oregon State. I just mentioned Oregon State. I'm really high on that Beavers team. They played two tough uh, – while group of five games, they played Boise State and Fresno State, found a way to win both those games. I love the makeup of that Beavers team. I think Jonathan Smith has done a great job. That's going to be a, a probably a, a considerably tougher road test than this was at Stanford. Still, nonetheless, good to see the Trojans in action. Uh, and, and when things do click, when they can win up front, I think we saw you know just what the ceiling of this offense can be. All right, I, I really didn't think we'd be talking about hot seat here in week two. I guess I thought wrong. We've got some some major jobs that are probably going to come open. Well, uh, certainly Nebraska. I mean, we, we, we talked about this just two weeks ago after Nebraska lost in Ireland. I mean, the, the reality of it is th this is a joke because you, you can't go three and nine in, in your fourth year at a blue blood program and keep your job anyway. So it's hard. I, I feel bad for Nebraska fans at how far things have fallen because they're a classy fan base. They're a loyal fan base, and, and they don't deserve this. This is on the Nebraska administration for retaining Scott Frost after he's proven to you he ain't fit for the job. How do you lose a Georgia Southern at home? And sorry, my voice is kind of coming in and out. Yelled a lot yesterday, but the one thing I thought this team would be able to do was stop the run, was be good in their front seven, get some pressure. Their front seven has stunk through three weeks. Scott Frost is a dead man walking. At this point, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, but it just goes to, to, to show you, like, why was he even retained? He went 3-9 last year, in his fourth year. He's never made a bowl game. He's never had a winning record at Nebraska. With all the resources they have, I mean, if, I don't know how closely all y'all follow the NIL market, but N Nebraska is set up very well, uh, kind of in this new age of college football. There's no excuse to be losing to Georgia Southern at home in your fifth year. Um, what's so interesting about this is Scott Frost's buyout drops from 15 million to seven and a half million on October 1st, but they play Oklahoma this coming week. Like if they get run off the field against Oklahoma, are they really going to wait two weeks? I, I, I know every program is different, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's just kind of a lost year at this point. I actually thought preseason that, that they could give Oklahoma a pretty good game. There's no way I'm, I'm betting Nebraska next week. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what that line comes out at, but, I mean, the expectations for their defense and just, I mean, and, and let's bring this up too. Northwestern, who moved the ball up and down the field on Nebraska throughout that second half and that game in Ireland, they lost at home yesterday to Duke. 
Duke is in a total rebuild. First year coaching staff. They stunk last year. That makes that loss in Ireland that even that more unacceptable. So Scott Frost is gone. Uh, Neil Brown at West Virginia too. He's a fourth year head coach. They've underperformed each of his first three seasons there. They obviously lost that backyard brawl game uh, at Pittsburgh, and then they, they lose at home to Kansas last night in overtime. You know, it, it's really weird kind of how West Virginia's season has played out because Neil Brown's first three years there, I actually thought they held up pretty well defensively. I thought their issue was quarterback play. I mean, Austin Kendall was not a good quarterback early on. Jared Dagey was not a good quarterback these past two years. I thought bringing in JT Daniels, if all else remained the same, this team could win, you know, seven games. Um, that's probably not going to happen now. I played West Virginia over the five and a half wins. Seems like Neil Brown's just a dead man walking. The one thing I will say, uh, I do think Lance Leipold was a great hire by Kansas and already in year two. I, I would expect them to I, – I don't think they're the same bottom dweller, just joke of a team that they have been over the last 10 years or so. Still, it's embarrassing. to As somebody who lost at home uh, to, to Kansas last year, it's an embarrassing feeling. Uh, and for a guy that was already on the hot seat, uh, I, I mean, probably going to get fired pretty soon, I had to imagine. Uh, I mean, that's just – that can't happen. Their problems this year have been their secondary. I mean – and just their defense as a whole. I mean, they, they got torched by Pittsburgh through the air last week, give up 42 points in regulation to Kansas. Um, it's embarrassing. So that's another fan base that is so loyal, that deserves so much better than, than what they've gotten from Neil Brown. Neil Brown was a good coach at Troy, but it seems as if that group of five level might be what more what he's suited for because it just hasn't worked out at West Virginia. So they almost added Scott Satterfield to this list, but they actually won on the road at UCF this Friday night. So he avoids the hot seat for another week. Um, but still, it's week two, but it, the, the, the hot seat talk never sleeps. Um, both of these guys are likely to get fired. If you're a fan of either one of these schools, or if you do have an opinion, let me know below. Who would you replace at Nebraska? Who would you hire at West Virginia? Let me know below in the comments. Like I said, hot seat talk never sleeps. All right, last takeaway here uh, for week two. Man, that after dark slate, I, tw I identified this on Tuesday or Wednesday night. I tweeted it out. That after dark slate, you know, the, the games that run into the wee hours of the morning uh, out there on the West Coast, that slate was terrific. BYU and Baylor, I had a best bet on the under 53 and a half. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, we ended up cashing it and it should have cashed with ease. It was 20 to 20 after regulation. So when you go to overtime, things get weird and we, we narrowly avoided just a horrible beat. Uh, so thankfully we got that through, but like I said, I mean, BYU and Baylor, uh, is a, is a really good matchup. Baylor won the big 12 last year. I'm very high on BYU played them over the eight wins. Talked about that a lot. Talked about that on last week's episode. Actually, that was a great game in Provo. I mentioned Oregon uh, State at Fresno State. Fresno State is a team that always plays uh, Pac-12 opponents close, so that surely wasn't going to disappoint. I even thought Mississippi State at Arizona was an interesting game. Uh, obviously, Mississippi State you know, covered on the road, won that game pretty handily, but Arizona did give them a pretty good fight. Uh, you know, for, for as high as Arizona was after that week one win at San Diego State, uh, and I'm, I may be off base here. I didn't watch a ton of this game, but it seemed like there were some you know, uh, chemistry issues last night with Jaden Delora at quarterback and some of his receivers, bad body language, maybe some tension there uh, in Tucson. Nevertheless, a great after dark slate. I know a lot of people associate this slate with like Hawaii versus like San Jose State, uh, but we got some some really good, you know, power five, blue blood. I wouldn't say blue blood, but really good power five versus group of five matchups uh, in that after dark slate. Hopefully that becomes a routine uh, throughout the rest of this 2022 season. 
All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. My voice is kind of shot, if, if, if you can't already hear. I appreciate y'all tuning in. Like the video. That really helps with what I'm trying to build here. Subscribe to the channel and comment any of your takeaways or any thoughts you have down below. Uh, not going to be a traditional outro here. Like I said, uh, struggling with the voice after yesterday's game. But like I said, appreciate y'all watching the video. College football is back, and it's better than ever.